today. Are you tired of living with stained and worn-out carpeting? Does the den look like bears spent the winter with you? Spring is here, and so is Empire Today's half-off-your-project sale starting now, but only for a limited time. Save 50% on a huge selection of carpet, hardwood, and laminate, standard padding and materials, and basic installation. Call the Empire Today half-off-your-project sale hotline now. 1-855-385-0681. Empire Today's free in-home estimates are easy and smart. Choose from high-quality flooring in the rooms where you'll use them with your lighting so you can see the color best. We'll do the measuring. You do the selecting and saving. But first, you must do the calling. Everyone loves the half-off-your-project sale. Even bears. Call the Empire Today special hotline. 1-855-385-0681. 1-855-385-0681. Empire Today. Select styles. Details at EmpireToday.com. SRN Survival Radio Network. Happy Sunday, everyone. Happy January the 25th. Thank you for tuning in to Let's Face It Radio. I am your host, Will Strayhorn. I'm Carrie King. And I'm Nathan Whitfield. Wonderful Sunday. Thank you for tuning in. Um, I have my guest co-host in the studio with me this this evening, um, Carrie King and also Nate Whitfield. He's been to the show a couple times. Carrie, why don't you introduce yourself to the people? Hi, I'm Carrie King, and I am a TV and film producer, and this is my first time on Let's Face It, and I'm ready to talk. Yes. Nate? I am Nathan Whitfield, friend of the show. I'm excited to be here again, and I am ready to get this conversation started. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, we have a wonderful show lined up. Um, Again, a lot of people inquiring about... um, all the incidents that are going on, I know we were talking earlier about the case in New Jersey um, with with the shooting. And we have two exciting guests. Our first guest that we have coming on, Travis Middleton, he is a legal researcher as well as a legal expert coming to us. I believe Travis is from California. Um, and then we also have a retired LAPD sergeant, um, Cheryl Dorsey, who's also just written a book, um, Black and Blue, who's going to come on um, to talk to us about um, knowing our rights, basically, when it comes down to police encounters. That's what both of our guests are going to talk to us about. Knowing our rights, when we come encounter with the police, there are certain rights that we have that a lot of people don't know about that can really protect us, and a lot of rights that could have probably protected the gentleman in New Jersey um, on December the 30th, um, unfortunately, who was killed in a police encounter. Um, so soon after this commercial break coming up, we're going to, Definitely have Travis Middleton in the studio who's going to talk to us about those special rights that a lot of us don't know that we need to know that could definitely save our lives. So um, what did everybody do this weekend? I know I actually I was off today, but I worked. I actually worked harder today than I did all week. I worked. I had a photo shoot this morning from 8 to about 2, and then I taught a class from 3 to 7. 
and now I'm here doing the show. So my weekend probably won't start until tomorrow, Monday, when you guys go back to work. But, um, <laughs> it was an exciting week. It was Nate's birthday. So, um, All right, yeah. Nate. Happy birthday. Yeah, Happy he's, birthday, he's, actually. I celebrated my 100th birthday on this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel great, you know. I thought I was going to have some extra aches and pains, but I'm doing good. I'm glad, I'm happy to still be alive. We have well, a lot you of sound like a young 100-year-old. I am. <laughs> <laughs> what did you do, Carrie? I went to Williamsburg, of all places, actually. Um, hung out with a couple of my friends. I've been working a lot lately, so I kind of needed that break. Uh, but, yeah, we went and had uh, lunch at uh, a place called Food for Thought. It was fun. We had some good times, good conversation. What kind of food is there? What kind of food for thought? Yeah, they have uh, all, all, all types of food. They have a lot of southern cuisine, but they also had uh, Jamaican jerk chicken, which is what a couple of my friends ordered. So it's it's uh-huh. pretty. it varies. It varies, but it was good. Is it near, like, the outlets or something? Yeah, it was right past the outlets. It's off of uh, Richmond Road. Okay. Mm-hmm. That sounds good. That sounds really good. Yeah. Okay, so you're going back to work after that, right? I'm going back to tomorrow. work tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Okay. How are you feeling? I know last week you were sick. I'm feeling much better. Thank you for asking. And how about you? Because you were sick as well. Yeah, I'm st- I am still have um, a l- little remnant of the cough left, but... I feel good. I don't have any more fever or anything like that. So I, I, I'm out of the, the worst part. It's just getting rid of this last um, bit of the cough. Okay, good. Yeah. Good. Well, guys, um, we have to take a quick commercial break, and then when we come back, we will have legal expert Travis Milton, as Will was uh, talking about earlier, and he will be here in studio as we begin the discussion to protect and serve. You're listening to Let's Face It Radio, and we'll be right back.
Tonight's show is going to be about to protect and serve, how to protect yourself from police excessive force, police brutality, and just why it is so important just to know your rights, your legal rights, when it comes to encountering the police. So up first to share some valuable insight on this topic, we have expert Travis Middleton. He has been studying constitutional law and criminal law for the past 17 years. So let's welcome Travis to the show, y'all. Hello, Travis. How you doing, Travis? How you doing, Travis? Travis? Not sure if we lost Travis or not. Okay. Perhaps Travis got dropped from the call. You should be calling back. Travis. Hello, Mr. Milton. Okay, so I'm not sure what happened. Maybe he is on mute. The, the engineer is saying that he is. He's on the line, but I'm not sure if there's some type of interference. But anyway, okay, until we can get him back on the line, let's just briefly discuss the incident in New Jersey. I know that you guys are trying to explain to me. So he got the the guy on the on the 30th got pulled over. He and his friends, I think it was for running a stop sign. Yes. Mm-hmm. And two police approached the car. The passenger was the one who got killed, I believe. That's um, correct. And it was it was started out looks like just a regular routine traffic stop, and somehow it escalated. I believe when the officer asked the driver to see his license and registration inside the glove compartment, or the yeah, in the glove compartment was a silver gun or something. That's correct. Yeah. yeah. So, what w- what's your thoughts on what happened? Number one. You want to take it away, Nate? Well, actually, when Carrie and I was speaking earlier, um, when we was having our topic, just our roundtable topics, and we were talking about, I just believe that it was because it's so much been happening with the police and. Um, people getting shot, that the police, to me, seem a bit nervous. And mm-hmm. he agree. was yeah. kind of anxious at the beginning, especially once he saw the gun. And yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah, New York, exactly. Recently in New York, you know, some police officers were killed at gunpoint, um, right. you know, by someone else. That So he probably was just nervous when he saw the gun. Um, and then he already knew the guy, Jerrain. That was his name, right? Jerrain Reed. Jerrain Reed. Jerrain Reed. Mm-hmm. Reed. When he um, found out who he was or recognized who he was, he probably was nervous because he had some run in before with with the law. And I think yeah, he as a assaulted teenager. a police officer. At, no, as a teenager, he shot at two, uh, two state troopers, three state troopers. When he yes. was a teenager, he got convicted of it and uh, spent 13 years in prison. Well, our call is back on the line, so let's welcome Travis. him back to the show. Welcome to the show, Travis. Thank you, Mr. Shayhorn. It's a pleasure to be here. Can you hear me now? Yes, we can hear you. Sorry for the mishap. Yeah, no problems. But um, we were just discussing the incident that happened in New Jersey. So um, it, it was a police encounter. It seemed to me like it was a routine pullover from the beginning, mm-hmm. then it just terribly escalated. So when coming into accounts with the police, I know that you said we have specific rights. What specific rights do come into question for Okay, okay I'm, I'm going to give you a lot of information. Okay. So I'm going to go kind of fast because what I have to give to you could be an hour show. I have to condense oh, it down. down. Okay. okay, okay. So the rights that you're going to – the federal protections that are going to come into play when you're involved in police encounters, it's going to be your Fourth Amendment, Fifth Amendment, and Fourteenth Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. Now, we hear about the Fourth Amendment a lot if you're in the legal world, but what mostly gets dealt with is the issue of the seizure and um, probable cause of seizure and takings issue. But there's a, there's a two-pronged test on the Fourth Amendment, and that's also the right of privacy. Pursuant to your right of liberty under the 14th Amendment, you have a right to be let alone. 
with your right of privacy. But more often than not, that one, that part of the Fourth Amendment isn't dealt with a whole lot as 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 well as the the right of the seizure issue, what's called uh, uh, search and seizure part of it. So you have to understand this piece under the Fourth Amendment. When you're involved in a police encounter as a motorist, Supreme Court has ruled that once those police car lights come on, those those lights on top of the car, you are mm-hmm. technically under arrest without a warrant because he is stopping your liberty of locomotion in the moment. Wow. Okay? okay? And now because he's arresting you without a warrant, he has to now show a probable cause as to why he is arresting or detaining you after that warrant. Now, what comes into play is, are you in activity that you have committed a crime in his presence to, to warrant further detainment, or is it your public safety? Now, if you're on the freeway, you're in the freeway, if your tail like is broken, you got a flat tire, or you're swerving in the road, that's an issue of public safety or by which he now has probable cause to find out why. Okay, so, Travis, as a motorist, then, what would be my federal protection when I'm stopped stopped by the the law enforcement? I'm sorry, ask your question again? Well, you said when the lights come on, we're presumably under arrest, correct? Yes. Okay, so as a motorist, how am I protected, then, uh, when law enforcement does stop me? I'm going to tell you. Uh, but before I before I make, give you that answer, I want you to understand, I want the listeners to understand, police in this country have broad police powers. And what I mean by that is the courts and the system have given them broad powers to stop crime before it happens and also uh, uh, secure the public safety. And in that modality, it gives them discretion to a lot of different things. We are responsible for protecting our rights. So now when... You, a motorist is pulled over and you're under arrest technically or you've been detained for some reason, your, your rights begin at the moment he approaches your car. Hmm. And, and you don't have any guaranteed rights, okay? You have the right and the means to waive all your rights, either out of negligence or out of uh, ignorance, one or the other or both. So... One of the things you want to do is, remember, when, when a police officer is approaching you as a motorist or a pedestrian, he or she is conducting a criminal investigation, and you are the subject of that investigation. Whether he's sniffing marijuana, he thinks you're under the influence of alcohol or drugs, or it's a public safety issue. He or she is looking for a means to build a case on you. So you want to be careful what you say to that officer at the moment of contact. What I do is, Let's say it's at nighttime, and an officer pulls me over. One of the first things I do, I have friends who are officers. My car goes to a stop. My dome lights come on. My windows go up. My doors are locked. I want them to see my hands, and I stay calm. And one of the first things I'll have ready for him is my license and registration and insurance card. I open my window and lower it only an inch or so just to slide my information through. Okay? He approaches me. I don't answer questions. I'm the one that asks the questions. Officer, oh. what's your probable cause for detaining me? And he better tell me a probable cause. If he says, well, you're swerving in the road. Excuse me, sir, that's not probable cause because I didn't swerve. What's your prob- I don't get to the argument. What's your probable cause? Okay? Mm. Now I want an answer. I want to make him commit to that answer because what I am doing, unlike most people, because I know how to file my own process in federal court, I am setting this officer up for a civil rights suit. Well, I'm going to burn his for violating my Fourth Amendment rights. And he's got 17 minutes, so the Terry Stop principle, to find some reason to cite me. Because in 17 to 18 minutes, if he doesn't have a reason, he's going to be sued by me in federal district court. So huh. I'm, I'm staying calm. You can see my hands. I have my information ready. Now, all I want to know is, what are you going to cite me for? I have had an experience last year here in Santa Barbara where an officer did this to me on December 28th, holiday weekend. And I gave him the same routine. He goes, well, how did you step out of the car, sir? And my response is, What's, you have no probable cause for that request, and on that basis it's going to be denied. Here's oh. my information. He goes, lower your window. That was legal. So I can get your information. Okay? He goes, lower your window. 
I said, excuse me, you have no probable cause for that request. And on that basis, that's going to be denied. Take my information. And he wouldn't take it at first. So finally he took it and said he had to call backup. I won't go into that long story, but it held me longer than 17 minutes. And guess what? Wow. I'm going to sue them to the nosebleed in federal court of <laughs> Okay. But I know the process, and I'm right. setting him up to sue him over it because it's being, the, the whole encounter is being recorded by a camp cruiser. Okay? Right. Huh. So you, you have to say the right words to the officer in the right way to let them know you've got a clue to what's happening to you. And exactly. he has a liability. And I'm sure, brother, when you do those, when you do speak in that language, it kind of alerts them. Okay, I'm not just dealing with you know the average guy, the, the normal joke. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. No, but, That's okay. true. Okay. Now I do want so I do private. understand. I do, yeah. I do understand that given what the officer's comportment and character is, he or she could want to make an example out of me. Okay. Mm. Now, in order to get me out of my car. He or she's about to crack my window and drag me out. But here's the mm. problem he faces in federal court. He has to tell the magistrate what his probable cause as to why he did that. Exactly. It's being recorded. And here's the thing I want you to remember. When I file a complaint, when anyone files a complaint in federal court as plaintiff in a civil rights case, the court must take the pleadings as true. So if I say in my complaint, officer had no probable cause for why he pulled me over. He asked me to get out of the car. I told him he had no probable cause. I hadn't committed a crime. He crashed my window, dragged me out of the car. He assaulted me, cuffed me, threw me in jail without a warrant. Here's why we're here. Now he's got to explain that with evidence to show he didn't do it because the court's going to take my and it's true. Now he's got a problem, and he can't disprove my allegations now. Let me ask you this question. Is it also fine for, as a citizen, to say harassing you, whatever, am I being detained or am I free to go? Is that something that you could say to the police officers? Yes. It is always good. Now, you have, what I want people to know is this. When you're approached by a cop on the street, yes, you are being detained, okay? But they don't know that you know your rights. In fact, they presume you don't know your rights, which is why they get away with so much misconduct, okay? Mm -hmm. So what I do is I never ask Am I being detained? Because I know I am. My question is a little deeper. What is your probable cause for your detainment? And he better have a probable cause. And it's not his suspicion. Because in the federal court, that doesn't qualify as a means to intrude my privacy or to seize my body or to seize the contents of my pocket or go through my car or apartment. Okay? That's the standard of what's called federal protection. And most lawyers know this stuff who do civil rights litigation, but they're not going to teach you this stuff. So we need to know the threshold of where the breach starts and ends. So I teach people, yes, you've been detained. Don't waste your time about asking if you've been detained. Because he's going to say, yes, you are being detained. And he has the police powers to do that momentarily. Your job is to make him commit to the probable cause standard. What's your probable cause for detaining me? And are you conducting a criminal investigation? If you are, am I the subject of that investigation? And if I am, under the Fifth Amendment, I'm not required to even talk to you. I'm not required to give you my name, where I live, where I'm going, where I've been. I ain't going to tell you jack. Exactly. I'll send you to my attorney arrives. And don't so say anything else. Yes. So you've given us information as if we were motorists, but what about if we are a pedestrian? What rights do we have um, when we are approached by the police? That's even better. And just out in public, really, just out. Okay. A lot of times You're going to love this. Yeah. You're going to love this. Pursuant to Texas versus Brown, this is an old Supreme Court case, as a pedestrian, your right of liberty and locomotion and the right to be let alone and the right to privacy are imminent. When a police officer approaches you as a pedestrian, he or she is conducting a criminal investigation in most cases. In some cases, you might be the target or one of your friends might be the target and they want you to admit to some criminal conduct. Now, here's where your rights and protections start and end. If an officer is talking to me, my first question is to him is, Officer, and I call him by name, I'm looking at his badge number, Officer Jones, what is your probable cause for detaining me. 
you know, well, we had a report that an APB of God fits your description was involved in the robbery. Okay, officer, do you have any evidence and proof that I'm the guy that you're seeking? Well, you could be that guy. Either I am or I'm not. What's your probable cause? Are you going to arrest me for a crime? No, oh, no, 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 we're just talking to you. And I'm not required to talk to you, and I am free to go, and I'm going to start walking away. If he cuts me off, and, I'm again, I'm taking notes, and I'm setting this guy for a civil suit, okay? I want, I want to ask, well, what, you have ID? I'm not required to answer that question. And matter of fact, what's your probable cause for even asking me that question? Well, I have a reasonable suspicion, but that doesn't constitute probable cause according to the federal courts. That's not enough to breach my privacy and my, and my liberty because you have a hunch. Police hunches don't qualify under civil rights statutes. You've got to have evidence that I'm the guy. You've got to have evidence that, that I committed a crime to detain me longer than to figure out whether you're going to keep me there longer than I need to be. Mm-hmm. So the mo- as a pedestrian, you have a lot more ability to walk away from a police officer than you do as a motorist. You're not required to talk to the guy under the Fifth Amendment. Exactly. Okay? And exactly what him, does the Fifth Amendment state? The Fifth Amendment is your right uh, not to self-incriminate yourself. So remember, everything you say to a police officer, even things you don't say, will go on a report. They're going to lie. Okay? They're going to, I'll give you an example. If you say, if they talk to me and I say, well, my name, first name is John, I'll give him a fake name. Mm-hmm. My last name is Doe. And I did this to a cop once. I told my name was John Doe. He goes, oh, John Doe, you're a smart guy? I said, what, a black man can't have a name John? Last name can't be Doe? <laughs> D-O-U-G-H? What, are you racist? So I switched everything around to this guy. And then he got a little crazy about the fact that I'm making a call on a racist when he's not. And I know he wasn't being a racist, but I was getting inside his brain. I said, what's your probable cause for even asking me my name in the first instance? Well, we're just checking out things, make sure you're okay. I said, are you suspecting me of committing a crime? And my next question is, what crime do you think I've committed? Do you have any evidence of such a crime? Then I am free to go, and you have no probable cause for your detention. Unless you want to talk about me suing you in federal court in, in, on a civil rights case. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then they let me go. Wow. They, they let you them, go? Them, yes, I am telling them things that they know. I've been talking to a civil rights attorney that I know exactly, exactly. what I'm doing and how to engage them. Okay? I would think that would intimidate them. That would make them mad. Well, I would think that would make them mad. mad. Here's the thing. I don't care if he gets mad. Okay? Okay. He has a job to do, and I get that. His job is public safety and do what he's got to do as a police officer. And he's not being trained to protect your rights. They're being trained to violate your rights. And the DA uh, teaches this stuff to them, okay? Mm-hmm. We live in a police state right now, guys. This is going on right now. And based on what I've seen in the last you know, five or six years, it is my belief, I may be wrong, but it's my belief that police officers nationwide have a standing kill order on citizens that disrupt their process and, and uh, do not follow their instructions, okay? That's just how I see it. I may be wrong. So with that being in play, there is a, a wave of policy being taught to these officers to violate your rights because we're like sheep and cattle to them. They don't care about your rights. It's about revenue raising, and the whole criminal process is about raising revenue for the judges, getting their salaries, prosecutor salaries, and keeping the courts running. Okay? It's not about your liberty. It's not about constitutional protections and citizens' protection. It's about the money interest and the corporations. And the sooner we realize that, the better. Mm-hmm. We don't care about your rights. Okay. Travis, we have a caller calling in. We have Jonathan from Los Angeles. Welcome to the show, Jonathan. How are you? Hey, how you doing? Hi, Jonathan. Hey, Hi, Jonathan. Jonathan. Hey, how's it going? What's your, what's your question or comment? Oh, I just want to comment about the, uh, the, the police brutality. We have a bunch of it here in California as well. Yes. Comment? Question? Yeah, I was wondering uh, what laws can be uh, acquired for the... uh... I'm I'm sorry, I didn't hear your question, Jonathan. Are you there? 
think, yeah, I think we probably lost him. Maybe he'll call back in. Did he ask about okay. a law or something? Yeah, yeah, he got dropped. Maybe he'll call back in. I'm not sure. The engineer said that he got dropped. Let me make this comment about about police brutality. And, and I think everybody can draw some, draw some analogies from uh, the case, Rodney King case several years ago. Okay? Mm-hmm. Now, I know what occurred in that case procedurally. When everyone watched that video, it was, it was very insightful and very traumatic to the country. Okay? A lot of us in the black community knew this was going on uh, all along. The only thing different about Rodney King case was someone finally got it on video. Okay? Now, right. the reason why, they, why we had to rise is because the, the stupid attorneys filed this case in state court first in Simi Valley. And in the state court proceeding, the judges are going to protect these officers to the nine. You've got to bring them in federal district court. We have a better chance of reining these guys in. When they got moved to federal court, that's when these guys lost their jobs, paid, them, paid out the fines, and went to prison. Now, the reason why is a statute under Title 18, Section 241. Conspiracy to violate rights. There's a statute under Title 42, Section 1983, the Civil Rights Statute. Those two came into play in Rodney King's case. When a police officer is standing with another police officer, a coworker, and one of them is beating you or, or violating your rights, the other one is obligated, pursuant to his oath, to stop his buddy from violating you. If he doesn't, he or she is just as guilty that's violating you as the one who's doing the deed, which is why what you want to do is sue them all on the conspiracy to violate your rights because they have an obligation to stop the violation. And that's why they all went down in the Rodney King case. They all got the ones who were standing around watching, the 12 or so guys, they all got also sued, and they all went down because no one stopped the beating. And we need to nope. understand if you've got two or three cops doing watching while one or two cops violate you, they're all as guilty. That like, that almost sounds like the the Eric Garner uh, case with the chokehold. You you could actually yeah. hear one of the officers saying to the the fellow officer who did it, uh, Officer Pantaleo. He said uh, he's down, he's down, and he, you know, and they all just allowed it to happen. But um, exactly. but let me ask you now, Travis. We've talked about home and we've talked about pedestrian. Well, we've talked about I'm sorry, we've talked about pedestrian motorists. Now we'd like to talk about home. What do you okay. do when a police officer comes to your home and requests to come in and search for someone? Easy. That's easy. Just like just like your, it's easier than the car, and it's just like being a pedestrian. When an officer approaches your home and he wants to get in, your first question is this: What do you have a warrant? Okay. Make them commit to the answer: Yes or no. Is there a warrant? Okay. Now. Good chance, unless you're a known criminal on the radar, they're doing an investigation on you from previous deeds, they're not going to have one. Their hope is you want to invite them in out of feeling obligated of doing the right thing as a citizen. And they use this perverse psychology bull, well, if you have nothing to hide, you talk to me. No, it's not about that. Because you're a corrupt official, and you're going to try and set me up, and you're going to try and break the law. So you've got to have a warrant signed by a judge Naming the specific items you're looking to get. Hmm. The gun, it has to have the serial number of the gun on the warrant. If it's wow. cash, the amount of cash you're seeking. If it's a computer system, it's got to be a computer system with its number. If it's going to be a piece of clothing, it's got to be described in the warrant by the judge. Warrants are specific. And they'll wow. you any kind of warrant that says one thing, and they'll go beyond that warrant and grab other stuff they shouldn't be grabbing. And your attorney needs to know this stuff so they can suppress all this stuff in a suppression hearing so they can't use it against you at trial under the suppression rule. Mm. But that's what he needs to have a warrant. If you have no warrant, officer, you have no probable cause, you have no warrant, good night. I'm not talking to you. And if you <laughs> stay around my house, I'm going to file a, a citizen complaint with your captain, and I'm, I just might sue you in federal court for harassment under the Fourth Amendment. So <laughs> well, you know, Do not a, mess with good, Travis. <laughs> that, that is a good segue to um, actually our final question. So when you know that your rights have been violated, when you know what, what, what remedies do we have, what rights do we have, and what are we supposed to do? Do people really okay. read when you go and make a complaint against a police officer? Do they really read? Oh them? yes, oh yes. And here's why: if you if you thought, I, I think I tell everybody this: if you're a motorist and you think a police officer is violating your rights, but you got to know where your rights are and when, when they're violated. You just can't be a ranting citizen because you're disgruntled. Okay. Right. If you file a citizen complaint, police officer, that is precinct. 
that complaint stays in his file for five years. If he's up for promotion, he won't get his promotion because he's got a ding on his employment record. Okay? So if enough citizens would come together and just file locally citizen complaints with the captain for the police abuse and misconduct, guess what? These guys wouldn't get any ranking. They'll soon be out of a job. Now, the other thing is, on a more devastating level, if you were to file a civil rights case against the police officer, his captain, the department, and the city in federal district court under, under Title 42, Section 1983, guess what? It'll cost them so much money in attorney fees and penalties and fines, they will knock it off because they'll lose their insurance carrier because they're what's called a tortfeasor, and it's costing insurance too much money to insure them. That's the business aspect that we as citizens need to understand. You need to right. sue these departments so much and so often with such high fees that they can't get any more insurance and they're going to lose their jobs. And guess what? And now they'll start listening to the citizens cry for justice. They'll stop violating so many rights. But we're not taught that stuff. And attorneys aren't teaching you that stuff. So we have to learn those rules. Now, I can file my own process, right? So I know mm-hmm. what time it is. So um, I, when I'm when I'm a police officer talking to me, I'm not really concerned about what he's what he's trying to do. I take the opportunity to start setting them up for a lawsuit. I'm taking down names, bad numbers, events. I'm setting up my declaration the moment he starts talking to me, and I'm gonna ask those magic questions: What's your probable cause? Or telling him you don't have any probable cause, so I'm free to go. And now I'm taking notes. If he wants to arrest me, I'm not going to resist it. I'm going to let him arrest me. He can stuff him. He can stuff him back me. But it's twenty five grand per day I spend unlawfully in jail, and I will collect every penny in federal court when I sue it. Wow. Well, Travis, we really appreciate you for all of the the wealth of information yeah. that you've given us. Yeah. We thank you for being yeah. a friend of the show, and hope that you will come back soon. Um, we're going to take a quick break right now. And when we come back, we're going to have retired LAPD sergeant and now author Cheryl Dorsey. You're listening to Let's Face It on the Survival Radio Network. We'll be right back. Thanks, Travis. Welcome back to Let's Face It Radio. Our next guest is a retired Los Angeles Police Department sergeant and police insider. She has recently also written a book entitled The Creation of a Manifesto, Black and Blue. Please help me welcome to the show, Ms. Cheryl Dorsey. Welcome to the show, Cheryl. Thank you for having me. No problem, no problem. So you're retired LAPD sergeant. How long ago was that? I retired from the department in 2000. I spent 20 years on LAPD between 1980 and 2000. Wow. Give us a little bit more about your background. Well, I, I'm a L.A. native. I grew up in you know what's called South Central Los Angeles, but when I was growing up there, it wasn't referred to that way. Um, I came on LAPD in 1980 when the department was under a consent decree to hire more women and minorities. And so because of that consent decree, they had an expedited hiring process, and I took the test, and they put me through all the paces fairly quickly and offered me an academy date, and uh, I entered in August of 1980. Yeah. Wow. Very impressive. 
Very impressive. Very um, well, unless you've been living under a rock, uh, everybody's, you know, heard of uh, everything that's been going on in the police, um, well, in the news lately about of all the police shootings and everything. So, Cheryl, I'm wondering uh, your thoughts on the police shootings and the in-custody deaths that's making all the national news. Well, you know, I had an opportunity to listen to the uh, previous guest that you had on there, and, and uh, you know, I, I um, a lot of what he said is true, but, you know, my take on it is this. I mean, what he proposes is is the thing that you could do, but my concern is that if you run across that errant officer like uh, Pantaleo or the Tim Lohman who killed Tamir Rice or Darren Wilson who killed Mike Brown, you know, knowing your rights and asserting your rights can get you into trouble. I like to call it contempt of cop. And when I say contempt of cop, what I mean is, as a police officer, I have tremendous power. And if you piss me off, by asking me questions that I may not necessarily want to answer or by refusing to get out of the street uh, quick enough, as in the case of Mike Brown, because that's what I think that was all about, um, mm-hmm. you can wind up either in jail for a little bit of time or you can wind up dead. Mm-hmm. So, so, Carrie, you have, so you a, have a whole about surviving police encounterment. Tell us more about that. I'm sorry, say that again? You have a message about surviving police encounterment. Encounter? Yeah, what I what I suggest is is completely opposite of the previous guest because I don't encourage anyone to confront a police officer because understand exactly. you don't know which officer you just drew you don't know if you have somebody uh-huh. with a hair trigger you don't know if you have somebody who's incompetent like the officer that shot and killed Tamir Rice because he had been asked to leave his previous depart department and Cleveland didn't do their job and do a thorough background and didn't know that this guy was unstable and unfit right. So Mm -hmm. I don't encourage anyone to confront an officer and demand anything. What I suggest you do, be a good advocate for yourself. Be quiet. Pay attention to what's going on. You don't have to ask him his name. It's going to be on his uniform. You don't have to ask him for his badge number. You make a mental note, and then you create a paper trail, because absolutely it's important that you file a written complaint, and it's important that you not send it to just the supervisor of that officer, but you send it to the head of their internal affairs division. Here in L.A., we have a a commanding officer who heads internal affairs group. We have a commanding officer who would be in in charge of the division where that officer is assigned. We have an independent civilian review board that's called the police commission, and I say send a letter to them, send it to the mayor, send it to the governor, send it to the police chief. You send it to everybody, and you CC each of them so everyone knows you're not the only one that's got this letter because somebody might be inclined to throw it away. But if six or seven names are on there, they're going to start picking up the phone the next morning and trying to figure out what do we do. Well, yeah, and that's what we hope for. So basically, Cheryl, you're saying that basically the, the best thing to do is pretty much common sense. Comply with what the officer is asking you to do and then later file a complaint if you felt right. like your rights were violated. Absolutely, because when you start making demands of police officers, yeah, you can do that, but guess what? You may not win that war. You might win that battle, but I can tell you firsthand as a police officer, if I stop you on the streets and you start asking me a bunch of questions, I'm not going to tell you nothing because I'm really not required to. i got a job to do, and I have to keep myself safe. And that's what we're hearing. We're hearing officers minimize and mitigate that thing that we know is unreasonable. We're hearing officers say now all of a sudden, I was in fear for my safety. I couldn't see his hands. Uh, He was reaching Mm -hmm. for his waistband. You know, those are all triggers. Those are all key words. Those are all things that officers say to justify that deadly force that they just used when really it wasn't even called for. But because Mm -hmm. you pissed me off, because you are now a victim of contempt of cop, I'm going to choke you till I kill you. I'm going to shoot you and say you scared me. Wow. So you should show off and to the cop get that you know your rights and things like that. What were you saying, Nate? Oh, no, I was I was asking Cheryl. So you shouldn't basically um, go when you're being approached by the cops. You shouldn't use utilize that you know your rights and all of that. You should basically comply and then, as Carrie said, file grievances later. I'm a proponent of compliance because I want you to go home. I want you to be safe at the end of that encounter. And so, you know, we saw, right, with Eric Garner, we saw him say, this stops today. I'm sick Mm -hmm. of you messing with with me. We saw that. And we saw them swarm him like a pack of wolves, take him down, and choke him to death. 
Mm-hmm. I believe, and I have no proof of it, but I believe if Eric Garner had turned around and put his hands behind his back, mad as he was, sick and tired of that as he was, he may not have been subjected to that thing that wound up taking his life. Because when he said, I'm not turning around, this is going to stop today. Well, see, now you just you just challenged me. And right. so now I'm going to make you. And, and and that leads us to what we were briefly discussing earlier about the 36-year-old exactly. Doreen Reed. Did you hear about that, Cheryl, in the news, um, Bridgeton, New Jersey? Oh, the young man that uh, was getting out of the car and the officer yeah, shot yeah. him? Yeah, that, 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 uh, that again, it's like it could have been avoided had he not gotten out of the car. Well, here's the thing, you know, because it's difficult, and I hate second-guessing a police officer because mm-hmm. that's the other thing that's very difficult to overcome. It's what's in an officer's mind because it's hard to argue what I'm thinking. You can't tell me what I feel, right? And right. so when mm-hmm. we look at that officer and we see him saying, quit reaching for the gun, quit going for the gun, I'll shoot you dead, I don't know if the guy was reaching for a gun because the camera mm-hmm. angle doesn't show that, right? That's yeah. right. I don't That's know right. if he was right. doing any of that. Or was it a case where this officer was just saying that because he understood he was on a dash cam. He knew that his words were being recorded. And so when you have officers who do that thing, you know, it sounds like, oh, my goodness, you know, he, I, I heard the officer saying, quit hitting me. I heard the officer saying, quit kicking me. And then I heard yeah. two shots. If you were to ask a witness that, it would seem reasonable how this deadly force situation happened. So was the young man really reaching for the gun? Or was he just thinking, I don't want to touch this gun, so the best thing for me to do is just let me get out of the car away from it. Exactly. Right, right. Which is what happened before with another case where the officer was saying, stop resisting arrest, but clearly the tape showed that the guy wasn't resisting arrest. Exactly, and that's what I'm talking about. That's when you have officers who are yelling out something that isn't even going on, but again, to an untrained, you know, professional, an untrained ear, and somebody who doesn't understand that that happens, I do. Because, see, I've seen it happen. And so I know that officers will create create probable cause. They will create uh, a, a, a reason to escalate force. And so that's why I say it is a lose-lose situation for you if you are a citizen. You need to just comply, shut your mouth. You don't have mm-hmm. to like it, but you will live to make that complaint. Right. I have, a, I have a question. So we keep hearing excessive force, police brutality. What what exactly is considered excessive force? When are they crossing well, the line? Police officers are taught, number one, we're taught to escalate and de-escalate, right? We're taught and trained to assess a situation constantly. And so if we're met with a certain amount of resistance, we're allowed to meet that resistance, to overcome that resistance. So if I say to you, come here, I'm investigating a crime, and I think that you are a suspect that I'm looking for based on information that I've been given, and I say to you, come here, and you don't come to me, I can come and grab you to bring you to me. And if you jerk away, I might grab you a little more firmer, or I might put you in a pain compliance hole. I'm overcoming that resistance. And then once you stop jerking, once you let your guard down, if you will, then I've got to release that hold. I need to let go of the pressure that I'm putting on you, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's what we're taught, to escalate and de-escalate. And then if it continues to escalate, of course, then the type of force that I will use will increase. But I don't get to go from verbalization, because there is a pyramid, if you will, of force that we are taught and trained to use, and I don't get to just jump to deadly force. And that's what we're seeing. We're seeing people uh, not comply with an officer's verbal command and then get killed. Exactly. Is it only just physical? Because I know in the video that we were watching, there were a lot of explicit words. So is, it, is excessive force just physical? Well, you know, officers will curse, right? Because sometimes, right. I mean, there's a segment of pop, uh, a segment of the population out there, and that's all they understand. And so, exactly. for me, in my mind, you know, would you rather me cuss you out, call you a name, drop f bombs to get <laughs> you to snap out of it? Because maybe that might resonate with you and get your attention and make you understand that you need to do what I'm telling you to do, or would you rather me just hit you over the head? If I can get you to comply by talking to you reasonably and professionally and without expelling, you know, uh, curse words, 
then right. that's fine. But if I need to throw in a, a, a MF or something like that, and then that gets you to comply, okay. And then maybe that's I can right. dust you off and apologize later. But guess what? We didn't get to the we didn't get to the flashlight over the head. We didn't get to the mace. We didn't get to mm-hmm. the deadly force. Right. Mm, right. right. Exactly. And, and and now it seems like Cheryl that there's a, a stemming perception of racism in the police department. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? How can the public get involved? Uh, well, you know, racism is a problem, clearly. I mean, and that's not to say wholesale, so let me be clear that I'm not broad-brushing any police department or any group of officers with that brush, but there are officers out there, and we, we hear it every now and then, like the young man that shot and killed Tamir Rice. He said he, he left Jennings PD. Well, he left because he was asked to leave, but he wanted to go to Cleveland. He Even his dad said he was looking for a little more action. He wanted to go mm. where, you know, things were, were, were jumping. And all that is is that's code talk for I want to go where there's some black and brown people so I can beat them up, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. So when people want to go to an active area, that means that they want to go somewhere where there's high crime, people probably don't complain, they don't write those letters that I'm talking about, and I can mm-hmm. do what I want with you and there will be really no repercussion. And so this is nothing new. We're hearing more about it now because of cell phones and video cameras and 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 unfortunately the number of deaths that we had have had permeating the news with black and brown men we're hearing more about it and it seems like it's something new but this is nothing new it's been going on and, and we know now since you retired you, you've written a book you've written a book the creation of a manifesto black and blue what, what motivated you to write this book I wrote my book uh, in 2013 on the heels of the Christopher Dorner incident here in uh, Los oh. Angeles. And Christopher Dorner is a young black officer who was fired from LAPD wrongly. And he tried to bring attention to his situation to no avail. And then, of course, he did the unthinkable. And I don't condone him killing anyone because that's what ultimately happened. He killed four people, people who he thought uh, had some... Um, culpability in his being fired, family members of police officers and officers who were hunting him. And so I decided to write my book, not because of um, any great um, compassion or empathy that I had for Christopher Dorner. I didn't know Christopher Mm -hmm. Dorner, but everything that he talked about I knew was true because I had experienced those same things but only 15 years earlier. And I understood his frustration, and I understood how LAPD can grind you down and wear you down because they have the resources, how they can lie on you, and how you cannot really fight and mount a defense against that. And then when they take everything from you, because LAPD is good at wanting to just kill you, and I don't mean in a physical sense, I just mean break your spirit, get you to a place where you can't get other employment, because once you've been fired by LAPD, you will not certainly work for any other police department. (laughs) And if that's all you know and that's how you've earned your living, where do you go? What do you do? And so I understood his frustration, and I just wanted people to understand how that can happen because you can work for any superpower and feel that you've been done wrong by a supervisor, by a corporation, and become very frustrated and act out in a way that is really out of your character, right? True. And so that was my... You know, that was my motivation was just, you know, to, to, to tell my story, right? I, I was blessed and lucky that I was able to hold on, do my 20 years, get out with my pension, and now because of all the things that I went through, I have a greater appreciation for the drama, the trials, and the tribulations because when I talk about my truth, they can't, the department, the media, or anybody else can't discredit me or try to devalue what I'm saying because I spent 20 years on the Los Angeles Police Department. I rose to the rank of sergeant within that situation. I'm honorably retired. So when I say what I say, which is my truth, it's not because I'm disgruntled and it's not because I'm anti-police. It's not because I'm pro-Dorner. I'm just for what's right. That's exactly. right. Now, so Cheryl, what should readers expect to take away from your story? What readers will understand is how that process works and what it's like to be a police officer. Because when I came on as a young person in 1980, I had no idea what to expect. And I think had someone prepared me better in terms of, uh, you know, what really goes on internally in terms of how partners might treat me, because I certainly didn't expect to be treated the way that I was by some of my partners, um, I think my time would have been a little bit easier. 
And, you know, I have the kind of personality where, you know, I was able to get through and not bend and not break, but everybody doesn't have that same threshold. And so I just wanted people to know what it's really like to be a police officer. If you have family who's on a police department and they come home stressed and and they aren't able to really articulate what that is that causes them this angst, if you read my book, you will see the kinds of things that go on day to day. And then I talk about some things that are really pretty funny and hilarious, and I had some good times, and I share those stories as well. That sounds oh, very wow. interesting. So, Carrie, exactly where can listeners find your book? My book is available on Amazon.com. You can get it in paperback and on Kindle. And uh, you can also um, find my book through my website, which is CherylDorsey.net. Uh, you can... Uh, Reach out to me as well through CherylDorsey.net. Cheryl Dorsey. So are you on social media at all as well? Yes, I am. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook, uh, retired LAPD sergeant. Uh, My Twitter handle is R-E-T-L-A-P-D-S-G-T. And uh, I'm on LinkedIn, so I'm all over social media. I also blog uh, and write um, various uh, articles for LAProgressive.com. So when things happen in the news that I think are controversial and I want people to understand uh, the insider perspective, I blog about things like Tamir Rice and Eric Garner and John Crawford, the young man that was killed in the Walmart. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, awesome. what, is the, what is the name of your blog, Cheryl? Uh, you can get it on my website if you just go to CherylDorsey.net. Uh, you okay. can find my blog there, and you can also go to LAProgressive.com. Uh, I blog. I'm a contributing writer for them. I'm also a contributing writer for EURweb, EURweb.com. Awesome. All right. Well, Cheryl, thank you so much for coming to the show. Hopefully you'll come back. Um, you gave us a lot of valuable information. Yes, you so did. Thank you so much. Would love to. Thank you for having me. Have a good Thanks, evening. Cheryl. You too. Bye bye. Awesome. Awesome. Great show. You two yes. did a wonderful job. Wonderful. wonderful. I got a lot of information. I got we a lot did. Of information. A lot of information. And we got both sides of the, the spectrum, too. Cause and that's what I love. Yes. Yeah. One told us to go in full force, the other told us to lay low. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. when I'm telling you to go, you might not make it home the next day. Exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but he awesome. sounded like he was ready, so I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> but Carrie sounded like she was ready. Yeah, so. Cheryl, yeah, Cheryl was ready. Uh, definitely uh, sh- that uh, whole evenly forceful thing she was talking about. Exactly. Well, um, just a few announcements. The Survival Radio Network recently reached a milestone this week. We have over nine hundred thousand downloads. We wow. Do. Wow. So oh. we're aiming for one million. Doing well. Um, next week, February the 1st, 2015, um, our show is Get It Together. Um, if you've ever felt in your life like it was just totally out of order, burnt out, there was so much chaos going on, tune in next week. They're going to teach us how to create balance, um, how to learn to just say no and be fine with it, not feel guilty like sometimes, you know, I do, um, how to just do you, how to live by your own rules and not succumb to other people's expectations and so much more uh, we have life coach karen beach who will be here and then returning to the show we'll also have true purpose coach timothy sahura who was here a couple of months ago um, they'll be with us to tell us how we can take charge and make the changes to fix our own life that's next week so i want to thank everyone for tuning in again carrie and nate you did an awesome job um do you guys have any final words you'd like to say? Just I just want to say that. Us. Exactly. And be smart. <laughs> when the police pull yeah. you over, be smart. You know, think about what you're doing. Because like Carrie said, we want you to come home safe. That's exactly. Right. Exactly. So make sure that you definitely tune in again and keep downloading. We're going to get to a million by the end of next week. So I'm your host, Will Strayhorn. I'm Carrie King. And I'm Nate Whitfield. Awesome. Let's face it. In life, you're going to be faced with many choices. But the most important choice that you will ever make is when you choose to be bold, be beautiful, make the choice to be you. Until next time. Thank you for listening to Let's Face It with Will Strayhorn and friends on the Survival Radio Network. Please be sure to visit us on the web often at letsfaceitradio.com for the latest in show information, including upcoming shows. 
special guests, spotlight interviews, as well as exciting, innovative ways that you can be part of the show. So tune in next week for Real People, Real Topics, Real Talk. Let's face it.